But anyway, take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy and chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look there in verse 16. I want to share with you just a few words this morning on the work of the Lord. The work of the Lord. The work of the Lord means just what it says. It's work. It's not always a piece of cake, but it's, it's work. It's diligence. And the Bible says that once you and I trust Christ as our Savior, we are His children. So God has given to us something to help us. And if you'll see there in verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look in verse 15. And that from a child, from a child, thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. I believe that it is the will of God for parents to see that their children learn the Scripture at an early age. The earlier, the better. Because as you get older, it's more difficult for us to be taught, to be trained. They say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, I'm not referring to you as that. I'm just saying that uh, the older we get, the harder it is for us to adjust to new truth, to learn other things. We become set in our ways. We become hard-headed. We don't want anybody telling us what we can and cannot do. But while a child's heart is soft and tender and pliable, teachable, that's the time to reach them and to train them in what the Word of God says. And get what he says here. And that from a child I hath known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. You see, they need to be wise enough to understand and put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior as early as possible. That's one of the greatest responsibilities that a parent can ever have. And so that's why the whole family that loves that little child is supposed to do whatever they can to help and challenge that. And to make sure they say and do nothing in their testimony that would cause a little child to stumble. Because God says not to offend one of these little ones. And then he says here in verse 16, All Scripture... Old Testament, New Testament, is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed. That means that men wrote as the Holy Spirit guided them and moved them. A man didn't sit down and say, I think I'll write me a book. They wrote what God told them to write. And so he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is, and get what the Scriptures are good for. This is why you come to Sunday school and Sunday morning or Sunday night, Wednesday night. Whenever you can study the Scriptures, approach the Scriptures as you understand, this is the Word of God. This is God's mind on everything that I need to know about life. I will study this book. And it says, and is profitable for doctrine. That's to teach you what is right. It's what's right. It's the basic Bible teachings found in the Word of God. For reproof, it means to help you to see, understand, to discern what's wrong. So that as you read the Scriptures, there's things that will rebuke you on as you study that you know you're not right between you and God. The Word of God is like a mirror that you see yourself. And without the Word of God, you really don't see yourself. So he says... It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. 
It's profitable for corrections. In other words, how it ought to be, how to correct a problem in your life. This is why you need to learn to study the Word of God. God created you and I, put us into this world, and God gave us His Word so that we'll know how to live in the world. And so how to make something right when you've done something wrong. And see, God says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now this is what God wants to do with every believer. This is why, though, we study the Word of God, so that we can know and understand. He says, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, it teaches us about things that are right. How to do the right thing. Did you know that by studying the Word of God, you can understand that you have a, an old sinful nature? And you know you have a new nature that's born of God. And that you have within you the elements of a battle that'll never end this side of eternity. You're going to always be battling because you have an old sinful nature and you have a new one that came from the Lord when you trusted Christ as your Savior. And so the battle is on. And God's Word gives us the instructions on how to be the man of God. Now, the only thing that lies between a child of God in verse 15 and the man of God in verse 17 is the Word of God in between. So from a child to an adult, a strong, spiritual, godly individual, the only way you can ever become that is with the Word of God. Take away the Word of God, and you will be a babe in Christ, or a child of God, yes, all your life. But you'll never be the man of God, or the woman of God, that God intended. And it means that you'll never be able to experience the things that can happen to a person who learned how to walk with God. You'll always hear about it, but it won't be part of your life. If you eliminate the most powerful thing to change your life. The Word of God changes you. See, once you trust Christ as Savior, yes, you're born into His family. You have eternal life. But that doesn't transform your life. It's only imparting of spiritual life. It's after you apply the Word of God and study in the Word of God that your life can be changed from what it was to what God wants it to be. So he says here in verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect, or mature, complete, truly furnished unto all good works. So the Word of God is given to you and I so that we can do the work of the Lord. When you're limited in knowledge, you're limited in ministry. And you can always have the desire to do more, but because you lack the knowledge, you don't know how to do it. For example, years ago, especially up there in Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee and Carolinas. The old-time preachers used to think there was two kinds of preachers, the kind that's called and the kind that's educated. If you're called of God, you don't need no education. You just get up there and you open your mouth and let her fly, and the Lord will speak through you. And then there's the other kind that gets educated. Well, this... One old-timer, he says, I'm 
glad I'm ignorant. The other man says, bless him, Lord. He has a lot to be thankful for. But believe it or not, a, a God-called man can be educated. God wants a man of God, every person, every child of God, to grow up to be spiritually mature, able to handle adult responsibilities. Now look there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, look in verse 15. Verse 15. And verse 15 says, study to show off. Now, excuse me. Study to show thyself approved unto God. In other words, God is looking for somebody who is fit for the ministry. Fit to serve. Fit to teach. Fit to be a deacon. Fit to be an elder. Fit to be a pastor or a missionary. Fit to be the right kind of a husband. Fit to be the right kind of a wife. Fit means you're prepared. You're able to do what God wants you to do. So he says, study to show thyself approved unto God. And you ought to underline this word, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, when you know what the word of God says, with one swift move, you can be able to rightly discern the Word of God. But when you don't, you just hack it to death. And a lot of God's people can hack it all over the place and never know what they really believe. You don't know the Bible because of how many times you've been through it. It's, does the Bible, has it been through you? You don't know the Bible until the Bible controls your life. It's not because you can memorize a thousand verses. Not because you can quote every book in the Bible. That's not knowing the Bible. Those things are important and you need to know them. It's good. But until this book controls your life, you won't know this book. Because you still haven't experienced it by living it. Like I say, it becomes precious to you. Real to you. Because you know it's true. Now, as a child of God, we know that uh, we should go to church. Most people know we should go to church. Well, you know, there's always different kind of churches. Well, these um, fair-feathered friends decided to get together, and they were going to start them a church. So the duck says, I think we ought to baptize by immersion. The rooster says, I, I don't think so. I think we ought to just sprinkle because, you know, that's going to make a bunch of these chickens mad as a wet hen. The parrot says, I, I think we just need a, a good program. The goose says, I think we need a 30-year-old pastor with 20 years experience. The mockingbird says, I think we just need music. The sparrow says, I don't think we need any music at all. The robin says, I think we need a budget. The crow says, I don't. I think we just go in faith. The owl says, all we need is sincerity. So they did. They organized them a church that was strictly for the birds. This is not to be a church for the birds. 
It's God's people. And they are to come together to study the Word of God. So when you come to church, you should have a Bible. Don't you think a child of God ought to study the Bible? And when you have a Bible study, there should be a time for opening up the Scriptures and looking at it and see what it says. So we try to teach. Thus saith the Lord. Take your Bible and turn to the 103rd Psalm. The 103rd Psalm. The 103rd Psalm is a very good psalm. I, I love this psalm. But the child of God should be a person with a purpose. And that purpose comes because of your understanding of what the Word of God says, what it teaches. And that is so very, very important. We are to be bold. We are supposed to trust the truth. We're supposed to study the Word of God because we believe it's truth. Then we're supposed to live by trusting this truth, applying the principles that are found in the Word of God, believing that it's the will of God and that it will work. Do you trust God to do what God says He will do? Can you believe the promises of God? Or do you doubt and question Him? And we worry, fret, want to get even, vengefulness in our heart. God says, trust Him. Trust the truth. And so as you study the Word of God, it's not the size of the person, it's the size of the faith in the person. A man by the name of Lynn Broughton up in Atlanta, Georgia, was going to have a debate with an atheist. So when they got there for the debate, he was a little fella, Lynn, and this atheist was a great big fella. And he got up to him and looked down at him and he says, I'm going to chew you up and swallow you whole. So he looked up at him and says, if you did, you'd have more brains in your stomach than you have in your head. I like it when a little guy can get even. But the Bible says to be able to give an answer to anyone that asks a question. So why do you believe what you believe? How many of you know, don't have to raise your hand, how many of you know positively that if you were to die, you'd go to heaven? Now I know it. If you know that you're going to heaven, how do you know? How do you know? Because you've been good? Because you were dunked in water? You signed a card? You joined the church? You gave some money? The only way that you can know that you're going to heaven is that there had to be some time in your life you trusted Jesus Christ as your only hope of getting there. You believe that He died on that cross and paid for your sins, and you know you're going to heaven when you die. So you need to be able to defend your faith. You do that by the studying of the Word of God. You don't study it, you won't witness much because you won't have enough answers and you'll be afraid of being put down. And therefore you won't have the confidence and therefore you won't have the boldness. But you're to be bold. The boldness comes because of your assuredness, the security that you have in the Word of God. Can you take verses from the Bible and show somebody how to be saved? Have you ever walked up to somebody and said, Sir, have you ever had anybody take the Bible and show you how to have eternal life? I've done that with so many. And then said, well, no. I said, look, you mind if I uh, take just a few minutes? Let me just show you a few of the verses in the Bible. And I take my heaven track. And I said, first of all, I say, look, see right here? 
These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I said, did you know you could have eternal life? You can know it? And uh, I didn't know that. I said, let, let me show you right here. This is another one of my favorite verses. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But you've got to find the tool that works for you. You've got to find a way that you can do it. There is a way. You just have to find it. And your concern and compassion will force you to find a way. But to say, well, I just don't know what to say. That won't hold up. You find a way. But you do it. Because God says every child of God is going to give an account to God someday for this little period of time He gave us to live. Now, it might be different if you were born in some other country and nobody ever talked to you, or if you trusted Christ as Savior, and you didn't have a Bible. But we live in America, where all of us can have a Bible. And if you don't have one, steal one out of the church pews in. I probably shouldn't have said that. We'll probably have to replace about 20 Bibles now. But you can have a Bible. But I want you to see the importance of doing this. Serving the Lord. I always remember, you know, God not only wants us to be bold, but at the same time, be humble. To learn to, to wait on God. To see what God will do. Knowing you've got to depend on Him. Like this little boy, he uh, went with his mom to the grocery store. And she was at the counter and the little boy was just staring at that great big old bowl of cherries. All oh, those cherries look so good. And he kind of licked his lips, looking at a bowl of cherries. Finally, the manager, the grocer said, Son, won't you just go ahead and help yourself to a handful? The boy just kind of held his hand down, head down, and he, he wouldn't do anything. He says, Go ahead, son. Just reach in there and get your handful of them. He just put his head down, and just looked up at him sheepishly like him. So finally, the guy, he just got a little sack. And he reached in there and got a handful and put it in his sack. And on the way out, the mom says, Son, why, 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 didn't, why didn't you go ahead and get you some? Because his hand's a lot bigger than mine. Studying the Word of God can make you sharp. It can make you smart. It can make you wise. Make better decisions. So you and I need to understand that his hand, bigger than mine, you can't outgive God. Some Christians become so stingy and selfish. They're afraid to give because they're afraid God isn't going to bless them down the road. Or if they give $100, they run to the mailbox and see if God sent them two. You say, well, what? The I thought if I gave this here money and I gave that, that God would bless me. No, but he blessed the church. The church was blessed. And the church won't be blessed if you become stingy. Because then there will be no support of God's work, and there won't be no missionaries, there won't be no radio broadcast. Won't be... Thank the Lord for those who do believe that their support of God's work is worth it, whether God sends them that check in the mail or He doesn't. I don't believe in this, the gospel of health and wealth philosophy. I believe that you can support God's work and give and sacrifice and lose everything you have. I don't promise anybody God's going to take care of this and take care of that. 
I just believe that if you do what you're supposed to do, there's a day coming when God will make it worthwhile. I can't promise you anything here. You can suffer here. And you can lose a lot of things. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can lose your property. You can lose everything in this life. Nothing down here is secure. That's why you do what you can, while you can, with what you have, where you are. And God will bless. Look here in the 103rd Psalm. The 103rd Psalm. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You know, as we get older, and sometimes we get insurance policies, we want to know what the benefits are, who's the beneficiary. Or when you get old enough to become, a, you know, on uh, Social Security, you want what your benefits are, or Medicaid, or Medicare, or Medicare. You, you just try to study to find out what, what do you have, what's your benefits. Well, if it gets too tight, they'll cut them out. Oh, they won't, no, they don't lower your payments. They just cut out the benefits. But God says, you and I ought to be thankful to the Lord for all his benefits. Do you realize that serving God, there's so many benefits that you can't name them all. One day when we get to heaven and we see how God has so blessed us, been so good to us, just the ability to live this side of eternity and for God to use us. To give us a ministry whereby we can do what we can for the Lord. And the people that you lead to the Lord to see the results down the road. It will be worth it all. Because God's word says so. Look what he says here in verse 3. Who forgiveth all thine iniquity. That's a big benefit. Do you realize that in the Old Testament it says forgiveth all thine iniquities or forgiveth all thy sin? That's eternal security. See if God forgives you of all of your sins, that's eternal security. All my sins forgiven. That's taught in the Old Testament, just like it is in the New Testament. He told his disciples, going over and preach the forgiveness of sins. For forgiveness of sins is salvation. In other words, you're not going to go to hell and pay for any sin because they've forgiven. You say, I don't have to pay for my sins. Why? Because they've been forgiven. I don't have to pay for them. Boy, that's good news. What a benefit. You know, I don't have to live the rest of my life with guilt on my shoulders and in my mind and weighing me down because God forgave me. I don't know what you've done. I don't care what you've done. But I don't want to know. But God says if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are accepting forgiveness of your sins because He was the payment for them. What a benefit. And for God to make me his child, what a benefit. For God to do all these wonderful things for me, give me the free gift of eternal life, I'm going to heaven when I die. <laughs> Those are benefits. And then to be able to serve, what a benefit. But he says here, and healeth all thy diseases. One of these days, I'm going to get a new body. That new body will not be susceptible to any of the diseases of this world. I'm going to be totally cured. I won't get old anymore either. You know, inside of this body, there's a 17-year-old teenager struggling to get out. I look into the mirror and I expect to see this 17-year-old teenager. There's this old man looking at me. Now I finally figured out why that one lady came into the office that day and she looked at my picture on that little book. 
She says, who's that? I said, that's me. She says, no way. And then the war began. Look what he says here in verse 4. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. Look how good God has been. Gave me a new song. Gave me a new birth. Gave me a new life. God did all of these wonderful things. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgetting all His benefits. Look what He says in verse 8. And this is why we should be humble and dependent upon the Lord, because God's been so good to us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Because if He had, we'd have gone to hell. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth or has compassion upon his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him, has compassion upon Him. He knows, in verse 14, our frame, He remembers that we're just dust. We're just a man. We're going to pass away one of these days. But aren't you glad that somebody came your way and explained the gospel, and you heard it, and you trusted Christ as your Savior. God did that. God did that. And to be thankful to the Lord for all that He has done. Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter 12. The book of Romans and chapter 12. You see, when you have pride, uh, there's a way of uh, God bringing you down. And if you have humility, there's a way of God bringing you up. And um, a friend of mine, Dr. Curtis Hudson, <laughs> was a preacher one time, and he told a story how that, when he was preaching, that he was talking about Jesus coming back again. Jesus is coming. Come for all things are ready. But he couldn't remember his next point. So he thought, I'll just repeat the last one until it comes to me. Behold, I come. Boy, it sounded good, and people out there, you know, amen, amen, all over you. But he still couldn't remember his next point. So he says, behold, I come. said it a little bit stronger, more forcefully, and more amens. Third time he says, behold, I come. But he went too far over the pulpit, and it knocked it down, and he rolled over the top of it, and he wound up in the lap of the lady sitting on the front row. And as he, later he says, ma'am, I, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I, I, I am so sorry. She says, apologize for nothing. You told me three times you were coming. But there's always something that can, you know, pull you down off your little perch if you think you get too big and heady and, you know, high-minded. But in the book of Romans and chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, you and I are supposed to have Persistence with patience. Persist in the will of God, but patient. I've done a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. And this uh, one preacher was conducting a wedding. Usually whenever I get ready to, you know, to move on in the wedding, after I've said a few opening remarks, I say, if you two have joined together for the purpose of being joined together in holy matrimony, you'll please signify your intentions by uniting your hands together. 
and then he could be baptized. But some preachers, they say, if you would like to be joined together in holy matrimony, if you'll please signify your hand by clasping your hands. Well, the young boy, he didn't know what the preacher said. He thought he said, clap your hands. So he started clapping his hands. Well, the wife looked at him and she started clapping her hands. So they're both standing there in front of the preacher and they're clapping their hands. Well, everybody in the whole congregation, so I listened. they all joined in. Everybody was clapping their hands. It just shows you how sometimes you can know if you're not clearly understood, people don't get the right message. That's why when we study the Word of God, we're supposed to find out exactly what He said. Because a lot of people are running, but they haven't got the message right yet. So there's a, uh, there's a problem. For example, you know, some people, you don't know if they're really working or not. They're there. You ever seen people that are on the job, but you don't know if they're working or not? And uh, I had a friend of mine, his name Bob Daly. He says, now, when they had the union job, and he was he's retired now, he said, but they had this one guy. He had a pipe in his hand, and he walked around the yard all day long. Never did any work. He just carried this pipe in his hand. Nobody ever asked him about that pipe, but he never did any work, but he got full pay, and all he did was walk around carrying that pipe in his hands. You know Christians like that? They give the appearance of work, but they never accomplish anything. This one employer, he says to his employee, he says, he says, do you ever do anything fast? He says, yes, sir, I, I get tired fast. Some people, you can't, you can't win. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But look here in Romans in chapter 12. Look in verse 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. Just like Mary and Joseph, they took Jesus and they presented Jesus. Accepting the responsibility to honor God and what God wants. You and I are supposed to take our bodies and present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. That means that you recognize that my body does not belong to me. My body belongs to God. Therefore, what you do with this body is very, very important. And you and I will give an account to the Lord for what we did while we were in the body. One of these days, we're going to move out of this body. And we're going to give an account to the Lord. But until then, why should I yield or present my body to the Lord? I don't do that to go to heaven, because I'm going to heaven. I already have eternal life. I'm going to heaven when I die. But he says, which is a, is a be holy, acceptable unto God, your reasonable servant. It's just a reasonable thing. And he says in verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you cannot transform your life without the renewing of the mind. So you take the divine inspired word of God and put it into your mind so that you can discern right from wrong. So that you'll know and understand the will of God. And God said he will bless you because of that. Look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. This is a very, very good verse. I've used it a lot of times and I guess I'll keep using it because it has really helped me to understand how I'm supposed to think. So 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, this is on page 1228 in an old Schofield Reference Bible, or one of the church Bibles you stole. No, I'm just 
Verse 50, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, in the work of the Lord. So it is God's will that all of God's children be involved in the work of the Lord. And the work of the Lord is the purpose of the church that comes together so we can work together and help each other and to pray for one another, to rebuke one another, encourage and all those things, because it's the work of the Lord. Is the work of the Lord something that's in vain? Don't need to do it? Look what he says. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. Do it because God says so. Now, all of what you accomplish for the rest of your life depends upon, do you believe that according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction, and so forth, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, truly furnished unto all good work. Do you believe that? To study the Word of God, that you may not be ashamed, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, a workman. Not just to say, look, I, I can quote the Bible. But if you can't work, what profit is it? It's what you do that's important. So that's why the Word of God is so important for each and every one of us. Uh, let me give you this one other verse before we close here. Look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Really, I have two verses that I want to show you. Oh, one of them's right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look there in verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And you ought to underline this phrase in that verse. Are not ye my work in the Lord? The work of the Lord is people. The work of the Lord is people. Can you figure out how you could serve the Lord without people? would be the value of it. What are you doing? The work of the Lord is people. And so he says here, are ye, ye are my work in the Lord. In other words, my work for God is you. We're always working on somebody. That means we're still unfinished. We're not complete yet. And so we are studying the Word of God, the perfect Word of God, so that we can work on one another, to help one another, feed each other the right to be the right kind of a testimony and, and so forth, and not to be a stumbling block for people to stumble over the habits in our life or anything that's wrong. We do what's right. But I love that verse, Are not ye my work in the Lord? Take your Bible now and look over there in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians and chapter 2. And you'll notice here in verse 18, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 18. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Have you ever done anything and Satan hindered you? Yeah, he hinders you. He's always working and trying to hinder you from doing what God wants you to do. Paul had that problem. You're going to have that problem. There's always some. I've always noticed that people from Monday through Saturday can feel great, go to work all the way, but Sunday morning they get sick. They get sick on Sunday morning. You say, what do they got? The Sundayitis. It's the new disease that came out with. I don't even know if there's a shot for it. But they get a bad case of Sundayitis. 
and have to stay in bed. They can feel great, but now as soon as church service is over, they start feeling better. But 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, look what he says here in verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? What is my hope? He says, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? What is going to be my joy, my hope, my crown of rejoicing? What is all of that? You at the appearing of Jesus Christ. When the rapture takes place, to see you. You were my work in the Lord. My question is this. Do you have a work in the Lord? Is there somebody that God has used you to work on, whether for salvation or for service? Who have you influenced, challenged, motivated? God has been able to use you. And when you get to heaven and you see that person, that's there because of you. That will be, look what he says here, your crown of rejoicing. Look in verse 20. For ye are our glory and our joy, the people that have been reached. You see, we can accomplish more for the Lord if we work together. So therefore, by having essential classes, Awana, the camp, the radio, whatever we can do as a group. And then there's always the individuals. What if just everybody in here won one person to the Lord a month? They could have a several hundred, trust the Lord. But what if you did it once a week? Just think how many we could have, trust the Lord. But see, you're not in a race against somebody. God's going to reward you when you get to heaven, not only because people that trust the Lord, He, he rewards you because of your faithfulness, not the result of your faithfulness. It's souls that we're after. But one of these days, there are going to be people in heaven, and we'll see them, that trust the Lord because of all the various ministries or the individual work and talking to that you've been sowing seed for years and so forth on the job and neighbors and all that. But never forget it. Your work in the Lord is not in vain. God loves us so much. It's the best thing in all the world to be involved in the work of the Lord. Are you involved in the work of the Lord? What part do you play? Are you busy? You're helping. I'd love to see the choir totally full. We'd love to see a few more helping in the Sunday school department that we like to teach. Of course, you've got to be taught, got to be trained, but prepare. Be working towards something. Otherwise, it'll always be, well, I could have. I could have. Yeah, I know you could have. But did you? Present yourself to the Lord. So this morning, I want you to do this. I want you in your own mind between you and God, will you say, Lord, I present myself to you. You're free to work on me any way you want. Reveal to me anything in my life that doesn't need to be there. And help me to see everything that does need to be there. And prepare me in whatever way you want to, by whatever means. I'm yours. And then joyfully study the word. Make whatever changes and corrections in your life you need to. Because there's nothing greater than being used of God in the work of the Lord. Look up here. If you are 
here for the first time, maybe you never understood before what you have to do to go to heaven. This is the most important thing of everything I've said. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents all of our sins. That's the bad things that we do. See, I was always told if I was good, I'd go to heaven. Bad, I'll go to hell. Well, I really didn't know if I was good enough to go to heaven and bad enough to go to hell. I had mixed emotions. But you see, I was raised in Georgia, in the Flatwoods, and my daddy was a bootlegger. I never understood. But I heard one day that God loved me. Now, he didn't like my sin, but he loved me. And he says, for me to pay for my sins is death in hell. But I didn't want to go to hell, and I found out God didn't either. So he says, if I wanted to go to heaven, I'd have to be perfect, as righteous as God. But I wasn't good enough. I'm not perfect. And he says, because of sin, you can't get in. And all your good deeds that you could ever do will not pay for one sin. If I was to stack on here a thousand good deeds, won't take away this one bad deed. God says, you have to pay for it. He says, you can't save yourself. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took our sins, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God said, if we'll believe that he did it for us, he'd put that payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for us. See, if I offered you my wallet and you accepted you to have a wallet, I offered you my Bible and you accepted you to have a Bible, Christ walked in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted you'd have eternal life. So I'm going to ask you right now with... You're looking right at me. If you died right now, would you go to heaven? If you're not sure, only thing you have to do is believe he did it for you, that he died and paid for your sins, and will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? When you believe that, he saves you from hell, gives you eternal life, and he'll never cast you out and never lose you. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord, would you just talk to the Lord right now? See, God knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you've done. knows what you're going to do. And yet the invitation is still open to you. God so loved the world. That includes you. I don't care how bad you've been. God's grace is sufficient. He paid for your sins. Will you believe he did it for you? Will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? Would you right now at this moment say, yes, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe Christ died and paid for my sins, and I will trust him right now as my only hope of going to heaven. And preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Friend, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a moment. Raising your hand does not save you. It just lets me know that what I said made sense to you. And I'd like to know it. And I'd like to have prayer for you. So in the quietness of this moment, is there anyone at all say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior, and preach, I'd like you to pray for me. Just look at it very quickly and put it right back down. Is anyone at all? Anyone at all? Yes, yes, God bless you, sir. Appreciate that. That's a sign of good judgment. See, only a fool would turn down a free gift. It's free, friend. Anyone else before we close say, yes, I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Just lift it up very quickly and put it right back down. For you that have already trusted Christ as your Savior, you know you're going to heaven when you die. Has there been a time in your life when you say, Lord, I present my body to you. I want to dedicate myself to you. I want you to use me however you want. If you've never done it before, would you do it today? If you will, 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'd like to have prayer for you. Would you just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down? This is to those who've already trusted the Lord. Yes, God bless you and you. There's quite a few hands. Yes, God bless you, sir. Yes, God bless you, ma'am. And others. I want God to use me. I want to prepare. I want to be fit for the Master's use. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you, Lord, for the one that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust your Savior because we know that you guaranteed them eternal life and you'll never cast them out and never lose them. And Father, no doubt there's many here that's decided, yes, I, I, want, I want you to use me. They may not raise the hand, but there'll be a, a quiet, slow-moving dedication of courage applied in their life. Maybe never say anything to anybody, but the change will slowly take place because they'll begin to walk with you. And we thank you for them. Bless each one. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.